Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. At center ice is Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly. Dishes off. What time? To the 30, 20, 10, 5. Star. Eskimos. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, let's get it going. Here's what you need to know about your Edmonton Oilers. They will practice tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Back at it. Coming out of this bye week, that's a new thing in the NHL this season. Chicago coming to town Saturday. Of course, we'll have that game for you on 6.30. Chad, now the Oilers, after the game in Montreal, sent Lander, Osterley, and Reinhardt back down to the farm. Well, Lander and Osterley now coming back up. So one of the stories for me tomorrow at practice will be, is Matthew Benning going to be on the ice? He got drilled by Victor Stahlberg last Friday in Carolina. Is Chris Russell going to be on the ice? He obviously didn't skip in that game either. The Edmonton Eskimos welcoming back Shamad Chambers. He was released by Saskatchewan earlier this offseason. Of course, the former Eskimo was the most outstanding Canadian in their 2015 Grey Cup victory. And defensive lineman Marcus Howard will not become a free agent. He will not become a free agent. The Eskimos extend him. Those are some of your local headlines. We'll update your NHL scoreboard in a minute. We have a lot to get to. Country music star Gord Bamford is on the show tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the 630 Chet Studios one of my all-time favorites it's John Short hey John how are you my friend I'm doing great it's great to see you again uh, it's been a couple months you've been busy you could say that I, you know I was chair of Alberta Sport Connection and uh, that is no longer as of the 1st of, of January and I'm sure you've read that uh, uh, some guy named Ference is taking over as the the chair of Alberta Sport Connection, and he'll do a terrific job. Yeah, well, now tell us because we told well, you were here in the summer, I think, and we yeah. talked a little bit about that. What does the Sport Connection try to do? Hope to accomplish all that stuff. Well, it's underfunded by government. It's the only place where the NDP government has not thrown a lot of money to 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 kids and 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 uh, um, and, and young athletes uh, or or volunteers and young athletes uh, but what has been the, the function is to provide the Alberta Summer Games, the Alberta Winter Games, the 55 plus games and to help to fund athletes beyond the developmental level you know if a kid shows some promise we help to fund them, we work through uh, various organizations or with various organizations and, and when someone from Alberta makes a national team, an Olympic team uh, we're as proud as anybody else it's about a $25 million, well, about a $21 
$1 million budget now, and it's not a lot of money when you consider that we have been dealing with 800,000 yeah. Alberta citizens. What did you enjoy most about uh, your involvement with that, John? Oh, uh, dealing with the just dealing with the athletes, yeah. and, and more. That's not quite true because I wasn't hands-on with the athletes. I was hands-on with the volunteers, and uh, to talk to the people who get involved in coaching an 18-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old, and the commitment that they make is absolutely astonishing. Yeah, John Short joining us in the studio, of course, longtime Edmonton broadcaster, reporter. Uh, you've done a lot in your, in your career, so uh, it's always great to get your perspective and catch up with you. Um, the Oilers coming out of this uh, this this bye week. I got to admit, I was like, okay, I wonder how this is going to work. And now that we're sort of going through it, and I saw how they played coming out of the All Star break, which wasn't <clears throat> as long, and and how and how it has affected the schedule in a season that already started a week late because of the World Cup. And I'm just thinking, I know the NHLPA wanted this, but I'm like, you created a break, so the rest of the year is even busier, and you put yourselves at more risks with back-to-backs and all that. I mean, do we need this five-day break in an NHL schedule? Well, I don't think it helps anybody. And as I noticed that the the Calgary Flames were saying today or yesterday, they're sorry that the break came. I think it's obvious that the Oilers would benefit from the break because nothing creates more misery than continuing to play badly. And I mean, there were a lot of people say, well, you know, they played really well against Montreal. No, they didn't. Montreal was terrible. They were adequate. Well, they were they were adequate, and Montreal was terrible. Yeah, well, they outplayed Montreal. They, yeah, they well, well but, that's, but, two, that's, but, that's two times nothing. But, John, <laughs> but here's here's the thing, though. We both, well, here's my, here's my theory. You might tell me I'm mm-hmm. from Mars. There are two ways to win a game. Mm-hmm. Beat your opponent, or don't lose the game. That's well, maybe what they in Montreal did. they did, but the Oilers are better at that. They're at least better at playing more mistake-free oh, hockey. No, no question about that. But that wasn't my original point. My original point was that they're not playing well enough that they could say, "Gee, we want to keep going." Now Calgary has been playing well and winning, so they want to keep going. Jack Donahue, one of my all-time great coaching mentors, when he ran Basketball Canada, he said. When you're playing well, you never want to stop. When you're playing badly, you want to break. So in that sense, I think the break benefits the Oilers. I'm worried about Saturday's game, though, just because... Well, that's Chicago anyway. It's well, not sure. going to be easy. No matter who plays and how rested they are, Chicago's still... <laughs> they're not the absolute powerhouse that they were, but they're still pretty good. No, hockey. they basically dropped from... Uh, an A-plus to an A-type team, yeah. right? So yeah. they're still pretty good. Now, they played last night. They played tomorrow against Winnipeg. Then they play in Edmonton. I mean, teams are used to the the, the travel. We'll see. The, and here's another thing that worries me about Chicago. Last time they were here, the, they, they got they absolutely got routed. They got hurt. I mean, yeah. Crawford was off. Chicago yeah. was off. And that's one of those nights where probably Edmonton did play well and Chicago played a little below but average. And you, that's you, how you, use, get it. you use short words. You see, you, you say they were off, and I say they were awful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I'm polite. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it's just, it, it's, it's an odd, and, and the breaks are spaced out. I mean, Anaheim doesn't, Anaheim's buy actually starts late February. Uh, I think it's February 27th to March 3rd, so it's during the trade deadline, oddly enough. So it, it's I just don't think it's necessary. Here's here's the thing, John. Why don't they just say, okay, you want this, you want a little break? Why don't you make the All-Star break a day longer? 
You know, so the guys that go to the game, okay, fine, you got to put in the two extra days, but then you're guaranteed you don't come back till the Wednesday instead. I mean, to me, that's the time to do it. Build it into the All-Star. Well, it seems to me that it used to be that way. Now, I I can't be specific about it, but it it seems to me that there used to be two days at least before the All-Star game and two days after the All-Star game for everybody. And and so you want to add a day? That's fine. I think that's a good idea. I do not think that the break is fair, but but it's work in progress. It's the first year they tried it. True. Uh, you know, they'll experiment with it. They'll take a look and analyze it through the summer. If they make any kind of a, a reasonable decision, that'll be welcome. Yeah. Well, and who knows about the Olympics next year, right, too? So they may, I, if, if, <laughs> they if, may not have time for a bye week. You know, I was, you know how long I've been at this thing. Um I was raised to believe that the National Hockey League was the sports business. Right. Sports business. Now it's the money business. And hockey is one of the products that they have to produce to get their money. Hockey's not number one. Money is number one. And if it were not that way, there'd be no no conversation. They would be going to the Olympics because it's good for the game, it's good for the fans, it's good for everybody except the owner who says... It, it doesn't suit me. Right. Well, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if the, so if the owners are ultimately not going to get anything out of it, they're not going to keep saying yes. Right. So that's right. And yeah. and the the players want it. Now, you know, it would be an honor to be named to anything. Right. <laughs> you know what it's like in this business. We're we're professional spectators. But but to say. Uh, I would be on that Olympic team or I have a chance to play in that Olympic team, but I won't get it. That's awful. Yeah. Well, Vetchkin, hasn't he said again? Well, I'm going to go anyway. We'll see about that. If well, his owner has right? said his owner has said on the record that he can go. Right. Now, the one thing we do know about Mr. Bettman, he's not very good at challenging his owners. <laughs> <laughs> They're his bosses, and they always let him know that. Yeah, that's why he's very well paid. That's to, why very well. But he knows which side of the bread the butter's on. <laughs> which is on it's on the owner's side not his side john short joining us inside sports on 630 chet it is 614 gonna take a quick time out you can text 630 630 already got somebody typing in says john i love hearing your voice again it's like going back to my childhood hearing you well there you go there's a there's a fan i don't need anybody going back to my childhood <laughs> let's, let's, let's just stay with here <laughs> yeah we're the, we're the here now uh we'll update the nhl scoreboard as well 11 games this evening crosby's uh, sitting at 998 points coming into tonight bruce cassidy coaching for the bruins as the interim head coach for the first time all ahead inside sports on chad <laughs> This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30. Shad. All right, here's what's happening in the NHL tonight. The Islanders lead the Flyers 2-1 halfway through the game. Also in the second period, Washington up 3-2 on Detroit. Nashville a 2-1 edge on the Rangers. The Canucks a 2-0 lead in Columbus. Ducks and Sabres are tied 1-1. Of course, the Ducks and the Oilers sitting there tied in the Pacific Division. Both have 66 points. The Sharks and the Bruins. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. you got Bruce Cassidy behind the bench for the Bruins. He's their interim head coach. Boston is up 3-2 in the second period. Joe Thornton has his fourth of the season. First time, John, he has beaten a goalie all season long. His other three goals were in the empty nets. It's halfway through February. 
And fortunately, he gets paid for distributing the puck. This is a shame because he, he is absolutely a great player. But sometimes you have to, Joe, shoot the puck. And, and you know, the, 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 the mentality now of, of coaches and players, the relationship, can you imagine what would happen if a coach said in public anymore, he's one of my best players and he's a damn fool because he doesn't shoot the puck? Everybody on the team would revolt. How do you dare to embarrass a player like that in public by saying he's not perfect? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on that point. Uh, I want to finish the scoreboard. Blues lead Toronto one nothing after one. The shot 17-4 St. Louis. Uh, Senators up 2-0 on the Stars after one. And the Kings, three goals in the first period. They got a couple games. Uh, I think they had over 120 minutes without scoring, but they're up 3-1 on the Panthers tonight after one. Later on, Penguins at the Avalanche, and the Canadians play the Coyotes. Reed Wilkins, John Short, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Now, well, you, made, you made an interesting point there about coaches. So, okay, so you, you, I'll, I'll tee you up this way. Your general theory is now that players are paid so much they can't be criticized publicly by the coaches? I'm, I'm saying that the players are in charge of everything till it gets to the owner's level. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, players, you're aware of this. I think every sports fan is now aware of this. The first thing a player learns even before he gets comfortable with the way they enforce the offside rule in the NHL, is is how you never, ever, ever say anything critical about your organization. You never criticize a teammate. You never suggest that the ice is lousy unless it's part of a, a, a broad-spectrum investigation. And as a result of that, since the player is told he can't say anything, I believe most coaches can't either. It's really interesting. Claude Julien, one of the great men I've ever dealt with in sport, uh, every so often has been known to yell at a player. Mm-hmm. Ken Hitchcock was never known not to yell at a player. <laughs> right. And, and they're out, both of them excellent coaches, proven records, and the players are... But they're fine. And the reason that they sharpen up isn't because all of a sudden you've got a better coach. It's because one of the players finally says to, to the whole group, you know, they just got rid of him. Pretty soon they're going to start to blame us. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it almost sounds like you're saying that coaches can't have any impact anymore. I'm saying that coaches have an administrative impact. I, I've believed, and it goes back to Sather, he ran the Edmonton Oilers, mm-hmm. no, no doubt about that. But over time, he gave over the ownership of that room to the Mark Messiers and the Wayne Gretzkys and the, the proven leaders that were on that team. Some that we never recognized as leaders, but they clearly were. Mark Napier would be one example of, of that. Uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, Hugh Campbell admitted openly that the dressing room belonged to Tommy Wilkinson and Dave Cutler and several other superstars, and he was quite content to leave it that way. He would communicate with his stars. The stars would, they, they set the behavior pattern. They set the training camp schedule. They did all of those great things. So the coach administered the players rather than directed them. And I think that's what happens with coaches now. Uh, okay, let me ask you this, though. Is is that a bad thing? Because I remember... When, I, you, when you win, it's not. Right, because I, I remember a Hitchcock interview, I think, when he was still with Dallas. And he said one of his greatest feelings as a coach was when Medano and a couple other leaders and said, Coach, 
you don't have to drop the hammer anymore. We got the room. We got the accountability. And I, even McClellan said that. I asked him a question about, um, you know, players uh, saying that, uh, you know, that the standards are higher and, and they, you know, the work ethic being there and challenging each other. And Todd says, well, that that's what you want. You want the players to have that motivation and, and the accountability. The, like, I, don't, I don't think coaches want to have to go around to 20 guys and motivate them individually. No, I agree with that. But my point now is, and, and we're, we're right on the same page at this level, the coaches want the players to run the room, right? Once the players run the room, if they're not running it adequately, and the St. Louis situation is a great example because the general manager, when, when he fired Hitchcock, said basically, uh, I can't leave him here because we're working with a whole bunch of independent contractors. Right. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That the, the room had been taken over by the players who didn't give a damn. Dallas this year, the word is that they're a very unhappy club. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, Colorado, if it's not unhappy, nobody's waked up yet. The, the reality is well, that they have to. doesn't help when your coach quits and on. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, it was the, doomed the, from the start. See, but, but the players, the, it's, it's easy to say if they quit on the coach. No, they don't quit on the coach. They take advantage of a team, and they take this team, you know, they, they take control of a team, and then they take it in whatever direction the personality of the leaders dictate. If you want to gripe, you gripe. If you don't gripe, that's a good point. You, you want to win, you win. I, I mean, there was griping in the Oilers room during the great days. I knew that. But when it got to the people who made the decisions, to the Messiers and the Gretzkys, and before that to the Lee Foglands and the Kevin Lowe's, it didn't go anywhere else. It got stopped right now. We're yeah. here to win hockey games. Craig McTavish would be part of that good leadership group, too. Well, I think you make a great point because it's human nature to complain, gripe a little bit, but then ultimately, is that the tone of the team? Or or is that a thing where a leader might say, hey, you know what? You vented to me. I hear you. Now let's go out there and work, right? And, and it happens in radio stations and newspapers and Everywhere. in the real world all the time. I mean, this is, I, this is a fascinating discussion. And one thing I've been saying about the Oilers this season is it's Peter Shirelli's primary job is not to find hockey players. His job is to find people who play hockey. And I think he's been very concerned about the person. Cam Talbot has had to scrap for everything he's got. Mark Letestu has had to scrap for everything he's got. Zach Cassian was staring down the end of his career. Uh, you, know, you know, guys like that, and they want to come in and say, maybe my piece of the puzzle is a small little piece that doesn't get a lot of fanfare, but I want to do it because I want to be in the puzzle. And and the history of the coach is that he's always been able to take the superstar, and clearly the Oilers have got one now and a couple who have potential to become superstars, and and he's, blend, he's blended that great, great young guy with a whole bunch of contributors at different levels. For me, the biggest, most pleasant surprise is Sekera. I, I saw him in the Viking Cup many years ago, many years yeah. ago, and I took one look at him, and Jason Greger and I were sitting in the press box, we were standing in the press box at the time, because that's all they had in the arena at Camrose then. We stood, and I said, you know, this kid's going to play in the NHL. He did play in the NHL. He was adequate sometimes, less than adequate a lot of the times, rarely a star. Here, he, to me, is is consistently, he's not quite excellent, but he's very, very good, and he's an asset every night. Yeah, and that's what they need. And, and in December, actually, you know what? In December, he and Dreisleitl were probably the best Oilers, even better than McDavid in yeah, that month. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. John, we'll keep going with this. Uh, we'll talk a little football as well. Great to have you in studio. It's Inside Sports on 630 Ked.
This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chaps. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. John Short is here as uh, well. Uh, text here to 6.30, I remember John Short calling a Trappers baseball game, I think, in Salt Lake City. We were cruising on our way to Los Angeles and decided to catch the game. We were thinking of crashing the booth and have John Short interview a couple of fans from Edmonton. Should have done it. Well, you should have done it. You, did you do Trappers Road games? No, I think it, it, it may have been a, a, a Salt Lake game. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, I, I never did travel with the Trappers. I wanted to because I always thought it would be fun to get out of town with Moose Stubing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you were, uh, first of all, happy birthday, by the way. Was oh, your birthday you. last week? Last week. Well, happy birthday. Thanks for coming in. Uh, I don't want to go, you know, we want to talk about the here and now, but I'm just trying to remember because I used to listen to you doing what Rob and I do now, calling yeah. after Oilers, plus you had a talk show. You were writing for the journal? Uh, the journal at that time. And then yeah. in between, you worked for the Oilers for a couple of years, didn't I, you? Um, let me get the order straight now. I've done, you know, I'm at a stage now where even I can't remember. But uh, I was working for the Canadian press, covering the Oilers, and never had been close to radio. And then I got a call from Larry Gordon, who was then, who was the first Oilers general manager under when Peter Pocklington owned the team. Mm-hmm. And he called me and asked me if I'd become the PR director. And I spent two years as the public relations director. And all the time I did that, I covered, I wrote a, a weekly sports column and covered sport for Alberta Report magazine because I've never been able to get the media out of my system. And then, of course, after Peter. And, and I came to a place where I, I couldn't stay any longer. Right. I, I went. I, I went. I went to Maple Ridge, and ran and, and owned a, a small weekly for a couple of years. And then I came back to to Edmonton, and that would be eighty four, I guess. Good timing. And, and I've been and I've been and I've been back ever since. Right. Well, good timing if you want to cover yeah. good teams and winning and stuff. Well, I, maybe I've said it to you, but I think anybody who who worked in this area or was a big sports fan in this area any time from the 70s to the end of the 80s we had the absolute best of it the NHL came to town the Olympics went to Calgary we had the, the World Student Games and the Commonwealth Games and AAA baseball arrived we had five NHL championships we had five Canadian Football League championships and you sit here and say how much better can it get than it was at that time yeah, that that was an amazing era, and, and I I've, I've often said, John Edmonton is both blessed and cursed to have that past. You're you're blessed to have experienced it, but now when things go bad and fans have that expectations, they're like, why can't it be like that again? Why can't it be like that? And I said, you know what? Even if these teams get good, it's never going to be the same. The NHL is a, especially the NHL is a different landscape. Uh, you know, five and seven. Is that even possible in this NHL? I think what Chicago did is incredible enough. Uh, I I agree with you, and it, it's not something I've made a habit of over the years. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, no, I, I agree with you that we'll never get it as we had it before. And part of the reason it was so big for all of us was that it was new to us. I mean, the, the Pacific Coast League. 
How many people ever absolutely considered that we would be part of a Pacific Coast League team, AAA team, and good players, even great players like Tim Salmon, would go through here on their way to the big time and we could watch them for years? Yeah. Um, that was... It was new, so it was joyous. Winning Stanley Cups was... It, I mean, it'd still be an incredible thrill, but for me, nothing's going to be like the first one. Well, Nothing. But, but there's a whole generation of 20-sums now. That, that, are, entitled, that are entitled to the next one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now you look at, at, at McTavish, who's been wonderful. He, he, far beyond, I'm sure, what anybody speculated in his first year and a half. And already people are saying, how does he compare with Gretzky? With the, with the McDavid, yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't... Yeah, I'm sorry. But, you know, McDavid, I'm thinking about. But don't do that. I mean, this kid is amazing on his own. His his records, his, his offensive numbers are never going to be close to Gretzky's offensive records because the game won't allow it anymore. The well, game yeah. has changed so dramatically. You may be able to do all, all of the, the, the number crunching that happens now in every sport. Well, you know, the average scoring was at this level and he got a higher percentage of points against the whole league than Gretzky got. You can play those silly games for as long as you want. But if you're just looking at simple numbers, it, it's unreasonable to compare McTavish, or uh, I did it again, McDavid, <laughs> with, with anybody. This kid is, is a superstar now, as Gretzky was a superstar the moment he stepped on the ice. Will there be a Messier? I, I, as much as I love Drysaddle, I don't see him as a, as a Messier because he's not the big, strong, physical force. He's capable of being that big and strong and physical, but he hadn't got the mean streak. Well, and that's the thing, right? And I mean, the the there's, I mean, look, intimidation, physical play, aggression will always be part of hockey, but it's not. It's not going to show itself in, in, in the same way, right? I mean, I had Dave Lumley in on Monday, and he said he and, and uh, Tim Hunter were skating back down the ice after an icing. Hunter looked over, saw the ref's back was turned, and just stuck Lumley in the face. I mean, now with the extra ref and the TV cameras, and the you'd be suspended. Uh, sure. Well, you know, and what I do, and same thing, you get asked a question. When I see what Messier was... I see the best combination of Dreisaitl and Lucic. <laughs> oh, really? That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I see all of, of Messier's skills are in this, this young kid, and Messier's mean streak is in Lucic. Now, if you could put those guys in one body... Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there aren't a lot of those anymore, are there? <laughs> no. Uh, 640 Inside Sports on 630. You, you mentioned the, the, the scoring... And, and that's always a topic, and goalie equipment, yeah. and and nets, and we have that. De- I always have that debate with listeners on the show. I mean, there's not a correct final score in any sport, though I think we can agree soccer scores are too low. Uh, <laughs> I mean, people always say, "Well, it comes down to scoring chances." That's a great debate. I mean, the NFL has decided we're going to make rule changes, and if it's fifty forty five, that's fine with us because no, we were getting anymore. we were getting killed by ten seven games in the NFL in the in the in a lot of the nine or seventeen ten. Would you would you make the nets bigger? Would you no, make it all four? No, four but two? but I'm really what I want them to do is establish a standard for net minding equipment, and then not let goaltenders manipulate that standard. Um, I would love to know how many stops Patrick Waugh made with the bat wings under his arm. Right. (laughs) 
And 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 whenever I hear somebody say Patrick Waugh was the greatest goaltender ever played, it's a legitimate argument, but yeah, I don't agree it with it. But because he had equipment that no goaltender ever had in terms of, uh, I mean, you couldn't put the puck under his arm because there was just a, another great big pillow there. And and I I want them to say, if it's legal, it's legal for everybody. If it's not legal, it's illegal for everybody. We want the same size. And I mean, if if so and so needs his pad to be a, an inch or two longer because he's an inch or two taller, okay. But that's as far as it should go. Right. Well, it amazes me too how often you see now a goalie make a a trapper save and not catch the puck, and then he doesn't know where the puck went because it it's so big he's not even feeling it, right? And the puck is. Deflected off or dropped in front of him, and he has to look for it. Do you remember when a goaltender's glove was was a, a, a first baseman's mitt? <laughs> no, it was a first baseman's yeah. mitt off season, and that's what they used. Well, now it's a lacrosse stick without a handle. No, no, <laughs> no. The counter to that is goalies will say, "Okay, but how do I stop the pucks that are coming in twenty, thirty miles an hour faster with the composite sticks and the bigger guys shooting it?" Right, and you go back and forth. Okay, but but one day again. And I, uh, this to me is the kind of conversation I'd like to have with with manufacturers, right? Um, I'm offended at the fact that a guy your size, my size, with the supercharged golf ball and 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 the and the new and the new golf club right. can hit it 360. Well, I'm not there yet, John. But uh, no, uh, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I know about. who you're talking about. And uh, you, you, they, the game has changed to the point that nobody at the top level in, in, in on the PGA has to finesse his way around a golf course anymore. He just bang the heck out of it. If it goes straight, then you got a got a, a little wedge shot to the green, mm-hmm. and and you're on in two. Whether it's par five, it doesn't matter. You're still on in two. Yeah, that's not that's not what golf was. So the competition's changed dramatically, and I don't like it because it does provide the edge just for the guy who hits the ball further. Well, you make a great point there. But the same thing applies. Let me finish. The same thing applies with hockey sticks. The same thing thing applies with baseball bats and baseball gloves. I remember with a baseball glove, you used to be able to feel the end of of your own, the, the fingers on your glove from the inside. Now... Lord knows. <laughs> <laughs> they got like an extra hand out there. It's exactly right. You make it's a great conversation about golf, and you reminded me of my my uh, my mom, who by having a son who likes watching golf has had to be somewhat had to learn about the sport over the last forty years. Uh, and she says, "Why don't they use the same ball?" She's like, "They should have to use the same ball. That's the fairest thing." I want to meet your mother because she's a very intelligent woman. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't. That's that's a great point. I don't. I, I don't think modern golfers have to think their way around the course or the same it. way. And I always remember the Jack. Uh, another Jack Nicholas quote was, "He would play the hole in his mind backwards because mm-hmm. he'd think, okay, I want to putt from there." So where do I want to be on the fairway? And then so then where do I want to drive it to? Mm-hmm. That's how he would approach the hole. Yeah. He would think, where do I want my putt to be? So he would play it backwards. But you're right. I mean, commentators will say golfers will always hit the ball as as far as they can. You know, unless, you, and, you know, and and that's the nature of it. I mean, you you'd fire the the trick is to use the shortest iron possible on the on the approach. Yes. And and I mean it's that simple. I go back names won't matter to you, but there was a guy named Bunky Henry who came up from the United States to compete in the in the Canadian amateur and Doug Silverberg out of Calgary 
was in the final with him, and I covered it for the Canadian press. And Silverberg said, going into the final, he said, I cannot hit the ball nearly as far as he does. He said, but I'll beat him with my irons all day long, and that's exactly what happened. He would hit a six iron, and Henry would be, be using a seven or an eight, and and Silverberg would be inside, 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 sinking shorter putts, and won, I think, two and one, a great golf match. But it's absolutely forgotten that Silverberg had to think his way around a golf course, and Bunky Henry didn't. Remember when Dustin Johnson didn't know his score in the final round of the U.S. Open? That was that it's was still, embarrassing. That's one of that the worst things ever. But but that's that's what happens when, um, to me, when when people think that they are obligated to make decisions just because they're in that position. Uh, to go to the world of politics, I still remember Peter Lougheed, and this is a long time ago. Yep. And Peter and I had a funny relationship back then. A reporter and the and and the the premier could sit in public and have a cup of coffee without being mobbed. And those days don't exist anymore. And he and I were sitting in Calgary having a very routine, comfortable cup of coffee. And he and I asked him. I said, "What do you do when things get really difficult?" He said, you wait, because eventually something is going to happen to take the pressure off. Maybe another news story, maybe a development, and that will take the pressure off. He said, the worst thing you can do is rush to make a decision. And that makes great sense to me. But in sport, we have administrators with no more background than you and I've got in many cases rushing to make a decision because somehow they have to be registered as decision makers. Uh, no, I, I'd far rather have have that kind of a situation where you say, hey, it runs so well, all I need to do at the end of the week is sign some checks and and, and, right. and, 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 and go and have a beer with my friends. Yeah, and that's and that's a great point because Johnson said, I, I think I might have moved the ball. He stepped away. The, the guy, the Furls official with them said, doesn't look like you've altered your lie dramatically. Go ahead and pie. And then the other guy, the bigger guys, yeah, yeah. had to step in. Oh, oh we got yeah. And why didn't he just say they made a decision? We're fine. No, and, and that's when I, I love the fact, I don't like the fact that sometimes deci- bad decisions are made and, and, and game situations are not altered. You know, you'd think, gee, you know, um, they, they, that protest should have been allowed because the decision was a bad one. But the reasonable sports official at the top level always leans as far as he can in support of his officials. And, and and it has to be that way. John Shortage, do you got time for to stick around to top of the hour? Wouldn't sure. I thought I was going to anyway. Yeah, well yeah, just I got I got I'm no other friends. Boring. I gotta be here. <laughs> <laughs> We're with John when we get back. <laughs> This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Just talking about uh, Don Horwood during the break here with uh, John Short, legendary U of A uh, basketball coach one of the most fun guys to interview ever he is for me i didn't get to know him as well as you did but he, he's he great was to talk. he was he was an absolutely outstanding human being and and that's something you don't often get to when you start to talk about coaches he <laughs> he, 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 he you, you don't you judge you know how does the team perform and and did he insult us at practice and how did he respond to a tough question the thing i like best about don horwood remember he was dealing with young athletes who weren't accustomed to any kind of media exposure and it came at a time when 
when the prima donna was a big deal in sport, you know, the athlete who said, well, we don't need the media. We can treat the media with absolute contempt because we're the game, and if they criticize us, to heck with them. We don't want to talk to them. Horwood said to every one of his kids the first several years that he was at, at U of A, and do you want to talk to them? And some kid would say, coming out of high school, well, I don't like him. I don't want to talk with Short, or I don't want to talk with Glenn Cole, or I don't want to talk about Reed, with Reed Wilkins, maybe. And Horwood would say, fine, you don't have to. But tonight you score 22 points, you can't. That's right. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. That's a really good way to put and, it. And, and I've seen other coaches do that, but not nearly as firmly as he did. Yeah. No, Don understood how, how it worked. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um uh, frustrated fan says it's good to see you survived your party last week, John. <laughs> I always give it to frustrated fan because I believe he'll correct me if I'm wrong. Was it frustrated fan or Sam G that texted? I think it was frustrated fan who said after the Eskimos lost the Labor Day game in 2015 that they would not win another game that season, and instead it went exactly the opposite. He'll correct not, me if I'm that, wrong. Well, now, I'm giving him a now, hard time. So he was frustrated because they lost, and now he's even more frustrated because he was wrong. <laughs> I think he likes the Eskimos, though. <laughs> so, uh, um, Hardwood Rick says, uh, John Short's still the smartest man in sports. There you go. Jeez, he must have got the letter I sent him <laughs> saying exactly that. <laughs> um uh, this texture says, hey, John, you're the best. I'm 49 now. Grew up with you. No computer, no online. And you could not be stumped. Wish you were still on the air. Well, you still are sometimes. Right now. <laughs> the only the only problem with coming on the air, and it's been discussed, you know, John, why don't you just come back and do a show? You know why? Because I'd have to work as hard as you do. <laughs> well, I, I, and, and, and I will never forget how hard I had to, and and the trick is to make it sound easy right yes I mean all the information just happens in your no, head like look you, at all this you, like. you didn't you didn't do any you didn't do any reading this morning you didn't prepare anything you just woke up uh, full of information and somebody say geez have you ever got a good job and it's true. It is a good it job. It is a great job. But it's a job. <laughs> oh, you have to treat it like a job. You do have to yeah. treat it professionally and be prepared. And that when people say to me, it's like, how do you remember all that stuff? I was like, seriously? Like, I'm taking notes and I'm thinking, trying to anticipate what I might be asked. And sometimes, and now with computers, and if you listen to Rob and I after a game, a lot of times Rob will be, you know what, we'll quickly look it up where we did. But, but a lot of it is, is preparation. But, but you, know, you know what I find? And my memory is still pretty good. I've always been kind of proud of my memory, happy that it, it works for me. Um, but now, because information is so readily available, my memory isn't tested as often. That's a good point. Yep. You, don't, you don't sit here and say, I know him. I remember him. It was... If I push this button, I can get all the information yeah. on him in a second. Or if you think you remember, you doubt yourself. Yeah. And then you look it up anyway. Okay, we're into the final minute. There's more. Let me ask you this. Did it bother you that the NFL MVP didn't get to touch the ball in overtime on Sunday? It bothered me a great deal. And it's a bad rule. And the National Football League should use what the CFL uses. And more than that, the NFL should start to recognize how many changes it has made to keep up with the CFL. We've gone, we've gone to, to the small, quick sprinter. Mm-hmm. We, we've gone to the serious kick return guy. We've done a whole bunch of things. They have done a whole bunch of things to open up their game and make it look more and more like the CFL. It's been my view since I was much younger than you are now that the CFL is a much better product than the NFL. The athletes are not as good. The profile's not nearly as high, but the game is dramatically better. 
John, we're going to do this again. Thanks so much for coming in. Don't lose my phone number. That is John Short. I'm Reed Wilkins. Oh, this will be fun. Country music star Gord Bamford. Huge Oilers fan. He's up next. Inside Sports on Chet. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.